1: Go to Shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Come on, let's work. Come on, let's work. Come on,
0: let's work. Come on, Come on. You can wish for it or you can work for it. You gotta work for greatness. If you ain't working,
1: you should be working. Come on, let's work.
0: You're tuned in to the Confessions of a Workaholic podcast. This is your host, Corielle. And on today's episode, I'm introducing you to a real boss babe who's making major moves in the trucking industry. Get your notebook ready because this conversation is full of free game. This episode of Confessions of a Workaholic is brought to you by the Black Travel Network. The Black Travel Network is your go-to resource for all things Black travel related. Whether you are interested in becoming a travel agent or you're just looking to hire one, the Black Travel Network has both an agent certification course as well as over 50 trained travel agents ready to plan your next getaway. Visit blacktravelnetwork.com for details and the link is also below in the show notes. So y'all, we are back with another game changing conversation that is meant to encourage you to go after your goals and inspire you to grind for what you want. Today's guest is definitely proof of what's possible when you are willing to work. Casey Cooper is the founder of the Compass Circle. um, She's been a trucking company owner for over 16 years in the transportation industry. Through her journey of forward failure, the Compass Circle was created to bring awareness and education to women-owned and minority companies who were underrepresented in the federal sector. And y'all know that this podcast is all about bringing you all closer to the conversations that I feel like we've been left out on um, and giving you access to the resources that I feel like a lot of people in our community just didn't even know was out there. So this is definitely a conversation that you are going to, want to tap into because Miss Cooper was able to turn one truck into a six million dollar transportation pipeline. Casey, are you ready to confess? I am ready to confess. So I've had the pleasure of um, speaking with you, interviewing you, working with you several times over the last couple of years. And I'm definitely always just inspired um, by the work that you do, how hard you work, how consistent you are with the work that you do, but also the resources that you put out there specifically for our community. So definitely looking forward to this conversation and being a uh, truck owner myself, I know, you know, how many people are always asking me about getting involved in the transportation industry. So I know that this is a very, um, a topic that lots of people are interested in. So y'all get your notebook ready. Okay. Um, so, so I know that my listeners heard me mention that $6 million, you know, contract, and they are all ears now, but before we get into the details of how you were able to pull that off, I definitely want to start, um, by just hearing a little bit about what life was like for you before you got into the trucking industry. Cause I know, you know, people can go to the compass circle on Instagram and they can see your progress, they can see, you know, how your hard work has paid off. But I want to talk about like the, the
2: beginning. So what were you doing prior to? Oh, definitely. Well, prior to, you know, the glow up, um, I was definitely korea sh- I was struggling. Okay. I wasn't even struggling. I was straight struggling. Okay. Um, I literally was like, you know, I thought like everybody else did, I'm just going to go i gonna buy this truck. I'm gonna put a driver in it you know, and boom, it's going to take off. And that unfortunately is not how it happened. Um, I was lucky enough that when I got my first truck, I started making um, my first tractor. Anyways, I started making money with that, but you know, people don't realize it's a lot of mechanics. There's repair, there's preventative maintenance, there's drivers, there's compliance. It's so many different facets to trucking that I ended up working way, way, way harder in hindsight. I wish I had known the things I know now because I I wouldn't have worked so hard. Um, And that's really one of the pieces that I want to drive home to the listeners. It's not always about working so, so hard, digging the ditch yourself, getting out there in the mud. Um, That did not serve me well. Did I learn a lot? Absolutely. But in hindsight, I was like, man, I really spent like 10 straight years just straight struggling. Um, so it was, it was nothing glamorous about it. Nobody was popping on IG. I mean, you're talking about 10 years ago, you know, I wasn't, you know, buying designer bags. I wasn't taking, I wasn't doing any of that. I could, you know, sometimes I had to make the decision. Am I going to pay my truck note or am I going to pay my mortgage? And I mean, I was there a lot, you know, it's, you're carrying, you know, this heavy machinery or two, three, four of them, or however many you got trailers, drivers. It was, when I say it was hard, like it was, it was, it was exceedingly hard so it was it it was nothing glamorous about it in the beginning
0: so just to be honest because you said like like I did. I just thought I was gonna, you know, invest my little money in this truck and that truck was just gonna give me a return on my investment. Just easy, smooth sailing. And that's definitely how how not how it went. But would you say that when you got started, your motivation was was strictly the money, like you just looked at it as a moneymaker, or was there something else that interested you um to get involved in trucking?
2: I actually, um, right before I started my trucking company, I was engaged and I was working for a car dealership. So some days I would be working from like nine to nine, you know, all day long and then bringing home this measly paycheck. That was definitely a motivating factor. But also too, you know, my ex-husband, he had, you know, some coins or whatever. And for me, it was just really about the freedom. I didn't want to be, you know, anywhere from nine to nine all day long. Um, I had just gotten pregnant and I was about to have my baby too. So, I, you know, my first baby at that. So I wanted to be able to stay home with, you know, the baby. And outside of that, I just wanted something to call our own. Those were really. It wasn't even for me. I wasn't even really thinking. You know, I'm I'm gonna make all this money, or that you know, a multi million dollar you know situation was possible. I just wanted some extra money. I wanted to be home with my baby, and I want the freedom to live how I want to live every day.
0: Yeah, I think that that's definitely probably. I mean, of course, money's number one. You know, when we think about quitting your job, starting a business, money, the potential to earn more for yourself than you can working for somebody else, I think is definitely like a huge motivator. But aside from that. Um, freedom is it. Like for me, the money is, you know, the money is cool. But if you're making so much money that you still don't even have time to enjoy your life, I kind of think that hustling backwards so i talk about you know here on the show i talk a lot about how the fact that wealth for me equals freedom like the money that i'm making is literally just me being able to buy my freedom being able to you know spend the time doing the things that i want to do and homegirl didn't move to miami y'all she's on a yacht like every time i look up every time i scroll through my timeline she's on a yacht so i definitely know that you know for you one of the biggest perks or benefits of being a business owner is that freedom and i think that it's just so important for us to have these conversations to show other black women specifically that it's possible i i definitely feel like we are like born and raised to believe that we got a slave like you said working so hard if you're yeah. not putting in you know 40 plus hours yeah. a week sweating you know blood yeah. sweat and tears then you're not doing enough and that is just not the case at all um so your industry specifically Trucking is definitely like male dominated. Did that ever intimidate you? And did you ever doubt that you could be successful
2: because women aren't represented as much? It didn't intimidate me. It just really helped me to clearly see that men treat women different than they treat men. And I don't care who feels some type of way about it. Literally, I'm the boss of this company. I'm signing all the checks, but I can say something and it's just received in a different manner than when a man says something. I mean, even to this day, like that's still the case. So a lot of times I work with a lot of women now, but before I would like have a man to go, you know, I was like, why is he not listening to what I'm telling him? Like, I got to tell him this two, three times. I get a man to tell you it gets done on the first time. So I just kind of get a little bit smarter about, you know, having somebody, the buffer between me and the drivers or me and whoever else, or, you know, you got to take your truck to a shop. You don't want to just walk in there looking like this, you know, girl that doesn't know anything about trucks. So I would always have, you know, some kind of male representation just to kind of make it a little bit easier for myself.
0: That's funny, because that was going to be my next question. Um, Is like, how do you get men to take you serious? Because even in pretty much every industry, you know, I've had several businesses that have been in different industries where I've, you know, had meetings with, with men for all different types of reasons. And even in industries where we're not underrepresented, men don't seem to take us seriously and not from the standpoint of... They doubt that we, you know, know what we're doing. But in my experience, it's like, I'm not here to, this is not a date, you know, like, (laughs) this is supposed to be a business meeting, like, what what are you doing? And that was always like the most annoying part for me that's why all of my businesses have always been women focused because men are just distracted in my opinion yeah. so how do you deal with that side of it like how you said you know you don't want to go into into the uh the mechanic you know looking like a girl like you don't know anything but just on a day-to-day basis do you have to deal with those things and what advice can you share for someone who's may not even be in the trucking industry but is struggling with that you know male ish
2: Not so much now, because people take me hella serious now. I mean, the the way I do business now is is very different than I did it then. But I mean, I think we're born and bred to be so nice, be nice, be pretty, be nice, be pretty. Women, to me, and I wasn't raised to really have a voice and to say, look, this ain't right, or, ouch, I don't like that, or, you know, we weren't really reared to do that. So, I mean, now... And it's, it's comical sometimes because, like, when I say things, I'm not being mean. I'm just being stern because I'm not playing with you. Like, a lot of times, to be honest, Corey, yo, I don't even had a time to, to really sit and go back and forth for, you know, my, my days are, are really filled with just, you know, moving forward. So when I say something, I mean it. You know what I mean? I'm not laughing. I'm not kicking, especially if it's somebody, like, new um, or, you know, like a new man or a new male company I work with. Um, but generally, I guess just from the platform I have now, when men come to me, you know, it's so funny. Like I don't even get a lot of, uh, like inappropriate or guys trying to holler through DM. I don't know. Maybe it's just the energy. Like when they come to me, they just all business. Hey, we want to learn what, you know, um, or either, I guess maybe I'm just so stern that they like, Oh, she ain't, <laughs> she ain't playing. So for anybody listening, I would just say, you know, poke your chest out. You know what I mean? You sit across the table negotiating. negotiate from somebody it's either they're going to get what they want and you're going to give in y'all gonna meet in the middle or you're going to come out on top that's the only three ways or you're not gonna do business at all that's how it goes so you got to go into it you know focused. it's not like you said it's not a date you know it's not a comedy show you know sometimes when you're trying to be nice that can be taken for weakness um so I'm cordial but I don't play no games I get in there I, I do what I need and I get out of there and that's really how how I move
0: no games to be played. Okay. So, um one question that people always ask me um is about like the resources required to get started. And I know everybody's situation is different, but right. what are some of the startup costs if they want to go the route of actually owning a truck?
2: So, one of the okay, so I'm going to give you a non-startup cost cuz what people don't know is a lot of times when I started, I didn't have any credit whatsoever. Um uh, I'm talking about early early on. So, what i did was i went to dmd and i got the cdl manual i studied the you know the the three chapters or the three components that i needed to to study and i got the permit to take the road test i'm saying all this because even if your credit is not strong but you're trying to get finance or you're trying to you know do a lease with a truck that cdl holds a lot of weight because to a finance company they're like okay well if you got a cdl and you're trying to get a truck chances are you're going to drive. And if you can't drive, you will be able to drive. And they feel a little bit more comfortable, you know, financing you. So that's one way Um, you definitely can get in, you know, with very little overhead. Um, I would say really, though, I was surprised when I actually got my first and second truck. It really wasn't a large down payment. My first truck was eighty thousand dollars. I had to put like twenty five hundred down, and then you figure another like. Now this is sixteen years ago, so some things done not change, but I, maybe it wasn't even five thousand total for me to get everything up and running. Um, I would still say that's just to get the financing, that you know the tags and all of that. Now, fast forward sixteen years ago, everything is more expensive. So of course, you know with inflation, everything's gone up. Um, But I would just have I think a comfortable amount is anywhere between 10 and 20,000 per vehicle, because if you drive out that lot and you don't have a warranty and your engine goes out or, you know, your rear end goes out, you want to have that cushion to be able to really, you know, help you out in the event something does happen. Um, You know, there's tags, there's insurance, um, there's your driver. There's also just getting your truck up and rolling and running and you know getting it maintenance. I actually had a, a woman in my program, she bought two trucks. She did not have them financed. I mean, she did not have them uh, maintenance and her driver lived in a different state than where the truck was. So when the driver goes to pick up the, st- the truck, he has to stay out there for two weeks before he can even start because her truck had to go back in the shop And that was $10,000 just to get, you know, get it up and going. Plus, he had to stay in the hotel for two weeks. And then a week later, she put another truck on the road, same situation, had another driver fly in, driver had to stay in the hotel for two weeks. And that was $7,000 on top of all the other fees. So those are just kind of like some of, you know, the, the costs associated with getting a truck on the road. But Please do your due diligence to all the listeners. This is not a game. These trucks are expensive and you don't know who had them prior to you having them. You don't know how they were maintained. So please get an oil test on the engine. That's like $500. It'll tell you if there's any little metals, you know, in the inner workings of the engine. Have a mechanic, a trained diesel mechanic, go out there and, you know, look at that truck and tell you, you know, what's up with it. And don't be afraid to walk away. If it's not the right truck, you will find another truck. So those are just a few.
0: So you mentioned, um, you know, what you need to do if you're buying, I, well, well, yeah, if you're buying a used truck, but in your opinion and based on your experience, do you, would you advise someone to pay cash for an older truck or buy a new truck and finance it so they're not out that cash?
2: I would try to finance a moderate truck. You know, trucks can go a million miles. So you've you got some 96s, 97s, 99s on the road. Um, and they don't have all the bells and whistles that a lot of the newer trucks do. Um, my mechanic is very old school. He's like 70 years old and it's nothing he can't fix, but he doesn't like the, you know, the newer stuff. I would say just find something in the middle, you know, 2005, 2006, moderately priced, you know, something with not too many miles on it. Um, that's not really expensive to be honest, Coria. I wouldn't go over my, my first tractor I bought was $7,000. That tractor is still rolling to this day. Um, the second one I bought after that was like 18,000. That's still rolling to this day, so I wouldn't really go over to be honest. You know, like twenty five thousand at the most, um, and I wouldn't buy anything brand new just because the payment is going to be so expensive, along with the new authority and all that kind of stuff. It just kind of negates, you know, the money you're making, and you don't have to have a brand new truck too. You know, people think, oh, I'm gonna get this brand new truck and it's gonna be all this and all that, but brand new trucks break down too. Um, So something moderate, you know, not too expensive that you can go out there and, you know, just get started. But reliability is what, you know, what really matters. Sometimes people get into this, especially men. Oh, is that a KW? That's a Kenworth? That's a Pete? Listen, at the end of the day, (laughs) you need a good working truck. You know, that could be, you know, just like cars, Mercedes, Range Rovers, you know, yada, yada, yada. It really is going to depend on that vehicle, specifically, you know, that maintenance and, you know, that vehicle's history. So would
0: you say, well, I already know the answer is no. Owning a truck isn't a requirement to make money in the transportation um, industry. So for the people listening who are like, I want to get involved, but your girl ain't got (laughs) the coins to go out and buy no truck cash, or maybe they don't have a credit to finance one or whatever they're, you know, maybe they're just not interested in going that route. What are some other ways that you can make money in the industry?
2: So people don't know, but I mean, you don't have to. Okay, so so I'm, I'm going to spread this out. So we're going to talk the federal side. And then we're going to talk just straight trucking, like private sector. So even if you don't have enough money or you're kind of scared or whatever, at this level, Corio, I don't even recommend if you're not about this trucking life or you don't have like a strong, you know, uh, somebody's going to drive or like that strong male presence to help you really, you know, do what needs to be done. I wouldn't even advise getting a truck. Um, but if you do... There's other ways, one one main way is you can actually get your authority. You can put the down payment to get the authority active, but then you can just sign on owner operators. That's a much easier way to build a fleet. You don't have to have all the maintenance. You don't have to, you know, you're not responsible for the drivers. Um, we actually, funny enough, we have a turnkey trucking program that actually helps, helps you do that. Um, and then on the federal side, to facilitate these projects you don't have to have the equipment either you can actually get the scope of work you get the contract you break it down you look at it and based on what the requirements are let's say you need three trucks then you just go and you find either three owner operators or you find a company to give you the three trucks and you mark up you know the price of or the cost of their you know their service That way you don't have to have the equipment. It's really the equipment and the drivers that either make you or break you. So those are just two really creative ways that a lot lot of people don't think about to kind of work around the equipment portion.
0: So I know a big part of your business is, you know, the government contract side. What would you say is like a misconception people usually have about qualifying or being positioned to get those contracts?
2: Oh wow! The biggest misconception I've seen so far is that a lot of people think they have to be in business for a certain amount of time, and/or that they have to have made all this money, you know, prior to. Um, neither is true. You don't have to be in business for any set amount of time. You know, if you have the EIN, the DUNS, the business bank account, and the uh, what else did I say? Business bank account, tax ID. Did I say tax ID? Tax ID. Then you can register to do business with the government. That to me has been one of the most, you know, common myths I've had to dispel. You know, when I do seminars, first first hand up is, so how long do we have to be in business? Okay, so I dispel that myth. The second one is, how much money have I had to make? So neither is true. The government understands that you're a small business and really you're helping them out too, because there's not enough contractors in the world to facilitate all the jobs. And there's not enough contractors to even spend all of the money on these projects either, especially right now. Um, so you don't have to have, you know, the equipment, just make sure you have the things that I mentioned and, you know, get in there, start looking at contracts and find something small to start. that doesn't have a lot of moving pieces and that you're comfortable with. That's, that's most important.
0: How much easier is it? Would you say that it is to sell your services to other businesses or to the government versus, you know, sitting on social media all day, trying to sell yourself to consumers?
2: Oh, wow. Um, you know what, Corey, they both come with 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 gives and takes. Selling your services to the government isn't hard. It's just that you have to get their attention. I think in regular, you know, business to business, it, it just depends. I mean, it just depends on what kind of industry you're in. If you do hair, of course, and you know, people see your work, then of course, you know, people are gonna flock to you. Um, I think social media also is a really good tool for business too. Um, especially, I mean, just me personally, and I know like you and another other some other females that you know I follow. I think it's really helped us, you know, broaden our horizons, get other opportunities. You know, you can kind of piggyback off what you do and now you're doing podcasts and now you're doing speaking seminars and you're doing all this other stuff. Um, But for me, the government provides longevity, which is what a lot of small businesses don't have. Even if you have one customer that you're going to work with, and let's say you're building them a deck or, you know, doing something, you still need more customers after that. So with the contracts, typically they last for either one to four or five years. And that's where you're really going to grow because you don't have to worry, you know, for the next four or five years. OK, where is this income going to come in? At um, All of it, in my opinion, is very doable with the government contracts, though. It's going to be a lot of reading, you know, a lot of comprehension and a lot of research. So if if that's not really your thing, then it might be best to have somebody, you know, who is you can bring them in on kind of like a partnership deal. Um, hey for a small percentage if you can help me, you know, because some of us are not strong readers Um, and I think that's what deters a lot of people from government contracts But I mean all of it is out there. It's literally all out there for the taking I mean, we're walking around with these twelve hundred dollar phones in our hands So we have to do our due diligence to you know, use that as a resource and really level up
0: So don't sleep on the contracting side, but like you said, there's definitely, um major opportunities and just connections that come from um, putting yourself out there on social media too. Um, So earlier you mentioned the fact that, you know, guys take you serious or people take you serious because you're not playing any games. So I just want to talk about confidence for a quick second because a lot of the opportunities that you have, come from you putting yourself out there, speaking up for yourself and showing, you know, what you're capable of. What advice can you give to someone who struggles with confidence or struggles with being assertive or, you know, speaking up for themselves or putting themselves out there?
2: So for me, it's basically like, listen, <laughs> we we all have, have, have failed. We all are going to fail. We all, you know, it's just a part of life. I used to feel so bad about my failures because I was so invested, you know what I mean? Just Not even just monetarily, but like my heart was really into things. So when they went bad, I was low key like depressed. So you just gotta get over it. I mean, we all are people, we all are humans and we all are going to experience joys, setbacks, pains. And a lot of times that's really what helps people identify with you. Like, yeah, you may be all glamorous now, but everybody's not. And people are in their own, you know, their own paths and their own timelines. So for me, confidence is one thing, but it's really the authenticity too, that really, you know, seals the deal. Um, And just, you know, being confident in who you are. I'm not you and you're not me. I'm here to do, you know, what I'm here to do. And once you kind of just catch the wave of, you know, you're doing your own thing. I think it's easier to be more confident because you're not looking at anybody trying to keep up with anybody or trying to compete. And for me, that's where the confidence comes in. So we hear this cliche saying all the time, it's only one you, that's your superpower. But really when you dice that down, there is only one, even twins aren't the same. You know what I mean? So there is really not another you. And a lot of times I know specifically for my situation, like in my family, I'm the airbender. Like I'm the one breaking all the generational curses. I see you post about that all the time. For me, that is that, you know, my family, I'm that person. So for a lot of us, it started off hella rocky, like, I was a black sheep. Nobody knew what I was doing. They were talking about, oh, federal contracts. What are you talking about? Like nobody knew. And now my mom is like, when can I come get on the yacht again? Like, you know, it's just, it's crazy how you go from the black sheep to the golden child. So you just got to rock with you. You got to be your own best friend. You got to know, you know, when it's, when it's thick and when it's hard that you are, you are, you are following a calling. Really. I mean, I can remember my mom was like, just please quit your company. Just please. You You're trying so hard and it's not working. This was like, 12, 10 years ago and she's not saying that now <laughs> so i mean you just got to stick it out but i mean you got to be confident in that there is only one you period point blank it's 8 billion people on the planet somebody's going to rock with what you do and those who don't don't have to watch or don't have to partake and that's just you know on period.
0: Oh, period. Listen, that's the perfect place. That's the perfect place to, to end the conversation, because I think that that really, in the, you know, boils down what exactly it takes to be successful in any industry for sure. But for the listeners who are interested in getting into um, trucking, I know you have lots of resources um, to help other people get paid. So definitely let them know how they can stay connected with you on social media, where they can find you online and tell them a little bit about some of the resources that you have for them.
2: Oh, absolutely. Well, we just rolled out a brand new campaign. We touched on it a little bit earlier. It's called the turnkey trucking program. I know for a lot of people who want to do trucking because it looks cool, but really and you know, they don't know this in hindsight, but in hindsight, it, it, it becomes an issue of the equipment and the drivers and all the things we talked about. So it's basically a program, it's a truckless program where we, we, we hire the fleet for you, we set up the entire trucking components for you to where it's all outsourced. You have very little to do um, in terms of you know, uh, responsibilities. You have a in-home dispatcher and basically you get paid every week and it's your responsibility to just pay your driver, easy. Um, no trucks involved. That's a new uh, campaign we just came out with. It's, it's, it's really doing very well right now. Um, and you can find that on my website at www.thecompasscircle.com forward slash lease. The website to kind of browse around and see what other you know interesting things we have going on is www.thecompasscircle.com. And you guys can find me on Instagram at The Compass Circle, on Facebook, The Compass Circle, and on YouTube, The Compass Circle.
0: This has been another game changing episode of Confessions of a Workaholic, meant to inspire and empower you to get that ass to work because you already have everything you need to get everything you want if you are willing to work. I love you. See you next week. You can probably treat yourself to an ad free upgrade or at least grab an extra latte after getting a Chime checking account with features like fee free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe no minimum balance requirements, and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com goals 24. That's chime.com goals 24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply.